Welcome to the first episode of Invisible Wounds, Healing from Trauma. I'm so glad you're here. My name is Carrie Walker. And first, I want to thank you for listening. If you clicked on my podcast, you must have lots of questions about either your own trauma or someone else's. So many of us have been through some frankly awful things in our lives. Me too. I decided to start this podcast in the hopes of connecting some of my experiences and solutions towards healing in a way that might help others. You, in fact. Let's dive in. I'm not a physician, clinician, or a counselor. I have no fancy titles or lots of letters after my name. I do have a degree in sociology, but that's pretty general, right? I am a certified trauma support specialist who works with survivors of intimate partner violence who might have had a traumatic brain injury because of it, and I'm a survivor of both. What I do have is lived experience with trauma, and lots of it, starting with my earliest childhood memories onward. During this and future episodes, I'm going to talk about my personal experiences. I'm just going to lay it all out there in the hopes that at some point you'll go, me too, or I went through that, or I felt that way, or I still feel that way. I'm going to try to do it in a trauma-informed way, but there could be some triggering moments. If there is, stop a minute, take some long, slow, deep breaths, pause, and come back when you're ready. Believe me, you're not alone. For example, I'm currently taking a course to become a trauma and resiliency life coach. There's about 27 people in the class. And guess what? They've all got their own trauma. Big surprise. I think in order to really understand trauma and to help others, you should know what it looks like, feels like, and sounds like. Many of us with lived experience want to get into some kind of helping field. Of course, professionals like psychiatrists, psychologists, counselors, and doctors do a great job, and I'm not knocking the industry. They all have their place and are very necessary. But for those of us with lived experience, unfortunately, we're all members of this same awful club that no one wants to be a member of but we're automatically recruited. We understand trauma in a very real and personal way, and we can often feel, really feel, other people's trauma, both emotionally and physically. In this podcast, we'll really dig into what trauma is and what triggers are, different kinds of trauma, including childhood trauma, and how it can affect us throughout our lives, physically and mentally. We'll talk about the Adverse Childhood Experiences Questionnaire and what that means. We'll look at healthy versus unhealthy relationships. Super, super important. We're also going to talk about abusive relationships. And we'll look at dynamics that might make us prone to getting into these bad, destructive, abusive relationships, and more importantly, how to get out of them safely. We'll also talk about brain injury as a possible result of being abused and how that can look and affect us. It affects way more of us than we even really know. We'll also look at how trauma affects us as human beings our mental health, and how it impacts the way we function and interact with the world. 
We will also explore our need to know why these bad things have happened to us and why validating our experiences is so important in the healing process. I'll give you real world, easy to use and understand tools, tips and coping skills to move you forward in your healing journey. All this and so much more. My brain is literally buzzing with all of the things we can talk about. Now, I know it's a lot to take in, but it's okay. We're going to do this together, I promise. The good news is that it can get better. It really can. We can literally rewire our brains to put us on the road to healing and create new ways of thinking about and processing our experiences. We can also get rid of that awful shame, self-blame, and guilt we feel and learn how to love ourselves. So I'm going to tell you my story because I feel it's important for you to know where I'm coming from and why I feel so strongly about the subject of trauma. So disclaimer here, some of what I'm going to talk about can be triggering. So if you need to stop listening for a bit, do it. Pause, breathe, remember you're in a safe space, then please come back and listen. I promise it'll be worth it. So I'm 58. I'm older. I was born in 1963. My parents were married and I was raised in an upper middle class background. So, you know, materially, I had what I needed as a child, you know, shelter, food, clothing, the physical things. But my mother was chronically ill and she was in the hospital more than she was home throughout my childhood and teens. She was also an alcoholic and addicted to pain meds. My father was a workaholic alcoholic who traveled a lot for work. When he was home, he and my mom fought, like every night fought. I grew up listening to them fight every night and just praying that it would stop. My dad was completely unemotionally unavailable, and when he was home, he was just drunk. He could be very mean, and I never measured up to his standards, nor did my mother. From my earliest memories, I was my mother's caregiver. She was mostly too sick to be able to function, so I grew up really, really fast. I learned that an easy way to get some attention was to act adult, so I did. I was hyper-attuned to everything that went on in the household. Over time, my relationship with my mother became completely enmeshed, so codependent. She told me over and over that I was the only reason she was still alive. I believed it, so it became my full-time job to make sure that she stayed alive. And she also told me very adult things, things that no child should hear. I was her friend, not her child. I wasn't taught boundaries in any way. Add into this mix that we moved around the country a lot. Michigan, Chicago, Ohio three times, California, West Virginia. I very quickly became a child absolutely controlled by fear. I was afraid to go to sleep at night. I was afraid I'd stop breathing. I was afraid to go to school, throwing hellacious temper tantrums to try to keep from going. I was shy, super shy, and always the new kid. And I got bullied and beaten up and picked on mercilessly in every new school. And I was afraid to come home. I never knew it was going to happen. 
mom in the hospital again, another move, drunk confiding parents. It was always a toss up. I'd very often say I was sick so I wouldn't have to go to school. Then I could stay home and take care of my mom. At least that was a crazy I knew. I always felt like I was on completely unstable and shaky ground and my fear made me always on the alert for the next thing to happen. And something bad usually did. Also, off and on, my mother's dad, my grandfather, whom I loved very much, lived with us and it didn't help things. He was a doctor and well-meaning, but he got involved in the fights and it just made things worse. My little sister Erin was born in 1971. I was excited and happy. I hated being an only child. So I raised her for the most part. I took care of her, kept her occupied and safe. And our lives just continued on in this crazy, chaotic way. It was our normal. It was my normal. It was the only thing I knew. And it wasn't until I was much older that I realized just how dysfunctional our life really was. As I grew older, that fear-based thinking continued to just rule my life. School was one huge, awful experience. No child can learn, concentrate, adjust, or follow directions when they're worried about everything that's going on in their lives. I was in my 30s, and I had a lot of aha moments in my 30s when I realized that one of my biggest fears as a child was coming home and finding out that my parents had moved without me, and then I'd be all alone. Fast forward to 1977. We're living in Morgantown, West Virginia. I'm 13, and my sister is six. We'd been homesick with mild cases of scarlet fever. She suddenly sat up on the couch. She couldn't see, and she didn't know who any of us were. I held her in my arms for two hours while my parents, both drunk, argued as to whether she needed to go to the hospital or not. I was ready and already trying to plan out how I'd get the car keys and get her to the hospital myself, even though I didn't know how to drive. Well, they finally took her. And four days later, she was gone. She had gotten something called Rye syndrome, which at the time had a name, but they didn't know what caused it or how to treat it. It's rare, but can happen when giving a child aspirin when they have a viral infection. It was devastating. Our world imploded. My parents were both from a small town in Kansas, so we went there for her burial. We got through that awfulness got back home to more awfulness. A month to the day later, my grandfather collapsed and they took him to the hospital. They left me at home alone. It was dark. I fell to my knees, literally screaming. I felt something in myself break, come apart, shatter. It was a physical sensation, one that I can't describe any better than that. And two days later, he was gone. And we went through the trip again to Kansas to lay him to rest. It was like some absurd version of the movie Groundhog Day over and over again. After that, I changed. I went from a shy, fearful kid to a very angry and rebellious teen. 
I literally didn't give a damn about anyone or anything at that point. We moved again to Ohio. I entered my freshman year of high school. I purposefully sought out the bad kids, the partiers, and I joined them wholeheartedly. I did drugs, smoked, drank enough alcohol to float a battleship, skipped school, or I would just get too high at school and just leave. I actually skipped school for six weeks in a row, and my parents never noticed. My drug of choice was LSD, but if I could ingest it, I took it. One time, I was drunk at a party one night, and I was raped for the first time at 14 by someone I knew and trusted. My parents had no clue how to handle me, so I did what I wanted. I'd stay away for days at a time and come home completely wasted. Nothing mattered. I know I put them through a lot, but I couldn't stop myself. In reality, all I really deep down inside wanted was for one of them to stand up and say, you know, we love you too much to keep letting you behave this way and do something about it, to be parents. But that never happened. One day, I decided I'd had enough. I took a handful of some of my mother's pills and waited for it all to go away. Well, it didn't kill me. And when I got myself together, I decided to run away. Brilliant idea. I was 16, but didn't have my driver's license. But I took my mother's car anyway, some clothes, what little money I had, and I left. I drove from Ohio to Virginia to a little island off the coast that I loved. I told everyone I was 19, and for some reason they bought it. I found myself two jobs and lived in a shabby little room over an outboard motor shop. I thought I was in heaven. I was being an adult. But I'm sure you've probably figured out by now it didn't have a happy ending. My parents figured out where I was, but they didn't make me come back home. My dad came down and eventually took the car back and left me my bicycle. Even at that time, I wondered, what kind of parents don't make their minor child come home? I fell into hanging with a much older partying crowd, as was my habit. I started dating an older guy, and I was gang raped at a party at his house. That guilt and shame for feeling like I put myself in that position for both rapes was so powerful. Then another man entered the picture. He was nine years my senior and was the typical Southern bad boy rebel. I fell instantly and completely in love with him. Very quickly, I moved into his little house. I fell for the old lines of, I've never felt this way about anybody before, and I love you, right after I met him. That's a big warning sign. That is not the way relationships work. Things were great until they weren't. Right when I moved in, for example, one night I found myself in a car with him holding a 12-gauge shotgun across my lap. He wanted to go get someone he thought broke into his house. Thank God this man wasn't home when we got there. It was completely surreal. Then it was things like he'd get drunk and he wouldn't remember who I was. 
He'd just think I was somebody he'd picked up off the street. Then he started getting angry, threatening me, calling me horrible names, chasing me around the house or out of the house. When I still had the car, he would take parts off of it and put them under his pillow at night while he slept so I couldn't leave. Then it was control, complete control. I couldn't talk to anyone, go anywhere, or even work. I couldn't talk to my family. He told me what to wear and how I should behave. We had no phone, and we were pretty isolated. He didn't work, so often we went hungry. One night, someone he knew hit a deer with their car and brought it to us. At least we had some food. Or we'd go out to the freezing beach in winter digging for clams or anything we could eat. I just kept thinking, how the hell did I get here? Then he'd keep me up for days at a time. I wasn't allowed to sleep. Then as time went on, it got more violent. He'd throw me against the wall one time so hard the wall cracked hitting me repeatedly in the face and head, and slamming me to the ground. He also abused our dog, whom I adored, and I won't describe it, but it was horrible. And he forced me to watch when he felt I'd done something I needed correcting for. His mom and stepdad used to come and stay with us. One night, I watched him in a drunken rage grab his mother by the throat and slide her up along the wall of the living room. He eventually let her go. I went back into the bedroom, sat on the bed, and literally went numb. I felt like I just floated out of my body. I wasn't connected to reality. His mom came into the room and whispered, We're leaving, and you should come with us. I just looked at her and said, I can't. He'll just come after me, and then he'll hurt you and me. So they left, and I sat there, literally waiting to die, because I was sure he'd kill me. He didn't, but it was bad. I'd run, literally for my life. I'd manage to get away. I'd go back to my parents' house in Ohio, but he'd always get me to come back with tears and apologies and promises of getting help that he never intended to keep. The one thing that we forget about in looking at people who have relationships involving domestic violence is that we love our abusers and that love can be very, very strong. His mother would also beg me to come back and lie that he was getting help. She told me that she felt I was the only thing that was going to be able to save her son. So I'd buy the lie and I'd come back. But eventually, of course, it would all start again and get harder and harder to leave each time. It took me five times to finally leave for good. The average is seven times. When I left the last time, four months later, I suffered a burst brain aneurysm that should have killed me. If I had been back in that relationship as isolated as we were, I never would have made it to a hospital in time. It was during all of the testing I went through then, they found evidence of traumatic brain injury. I've lost some of my eyesight, and I struggle with focus, concentration, among other things. I also have terrible balance. 
I literally will sometimes just fall down. It's crazy, but it happens. I eventually married and have two beautiful grown children and a grandson, but life has always been a struggle. I've had depression, anxiety, and complex post-traumatic stress for years. I take a lot of medications and I suffer from insomnia and I have to take meds just to be able to sleep. Some days I still struggle just doing basic things like brushing my teeth. Other days I can kick some butt. It all depends on the day and what my brain and body can tolerate. Helping others has been a focal point of my life for years now. I started 12 years ago working at a small domestic violence shelter in Ohio as an advocate. I moved to Phoenix 10 years ago and worked at a large domestic violence shelter here and since then have been lucky enough to work collaboratively with brilliant doctors, researchers, educators, and advocates in the field of intimate partner violence and traumatic brain injury. We develop programs, protocols, and trainings for many different organizations and groups. I also started my own organization, End DV Now, a couple of years ago. I began learning about trauma-informed care and practices along the way, but I've really been learning intensely for the last few years. It speaks to what happened to you as opposed to what's wrong with you. What a game changer. Doesn't that just make so much more sense? It's not only allowed me to be a more effective advocate, but to understand what happened to me throughout my life and how it profoundly changed me. For those of us with a trauma history, I think it's pretty freaking incredible that we function at all. So that's my story. It wasn't easy to tell, and I'm sorry that it might have been hard to hear, but when I decided to do this, I promised myself I'd be honest. So full disclosure, my family's gonna hear this too, and there may be things even they don't know. But if any of it made sense to you or connected with you or resonated with you in any way, it's worth it. Whew, deep breath. So that's it for this first episode of Invisible Wounds Healing from Trauma. Now it's time to listen to you. Find me on Twitter at Walker 58 and Facebook at NDV Now and at Carrie Walker and my website, NDVNow.com. Please let me know what you think and what your thoughts are, ideas for things you'd like to hear me talk about, and look for my next episode coming up next week. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk soon. Let's not get stuck in our worries We'll make our way Won't you come outside Where the sunflowers bloom Breathe in the air Look up to the moon I'll meet you outside